What's up, bitches? I'm Gaia. And I'm Nita. And this is Bitch Why. Our podcast where we talk about all the things we like and dislike and why anyone would make them. We are two artsy bitches learning about what makes art good and how to talk about it. And that is it. No riffing this week. We are straight on. All right. What are you snacking on? What am I? Okay. I'm actually like, I'm glad you asked this this week, Nita, because I recently was off of my isolated island and I purchased a bag of Sour Patch Kids, right? Because I love Sour Patch Kids. My preferred meal is cashews and Sour Patch Kids because I think Sour Patch Kids have electrolytes and cashews have protein. So like it's a balanced breakfast, if you will. But (laughs) this bag, I don't know if it's all bags or if it's just this bag, but they got rid of the yellow flavor and they have a white mystery flavor and you're supposed to guess the mystery flavor and maybe win $50,000. But I think the mystery flavor is banana. So I think they switched from lemon, which is like a God tier Sour Patch Kid flavor to banana. You know, a lot of people don't like yellow as like a flavor, but that's like my favorite. Sour Patch Kids? Their lemon, they get it. Like, they get it. Because it tastes like how lemonade should taste. Mm, okay. Anyway, I've been really upset about it. And I feel like I'm not getting my proper nutrition, you know? You might have to actually eat a fruit. Anyway, what's up? What are you snacking on? I had, like, a lovely weekend. My acting for film intensive ended. And we were all so obsessed with each other that we were like, I don't want to go home. It was, like, 5 p.m. on a Friday. We were like, I don't want to go home. I want to see everybody still. So we all hung out. Then I went home like very late, woke up, went to a Yankees game with this same group of people and then went home and then 4th of July Sunday, which is not real 4th of July for me. It is my Independence Day to do whatever I want. So mm-hmm. I went to I went to like a couple parties but then saw that group of people again. We played Dungeons and Dragons like drunk and it was the first time like a few of us in the room had ever played it. And we laughed consistently for four hours. Like, I have never laughed that hard for that long. And I just saw a lot of really lovely people. And, like, right before I flew home, I was hanging out with some really great friends as well. I don't know. It's just been, like, such a good week of, like, seeing people and just hanging out and, like, going out with people. And it's like, I wish life was like this all the time. Yeah. Like, I, too, saw some people this weekend that I don't normally see. One of the things they talk about in The Body Keeps the Score is that treating trauma isn't necessarily about talking about trauma, but it's about like making secure, vulnerable connections with other human beings in the world. And sometimes talking about trauma can help with that. Um, And that's all I have to say is that having people who make you feel whole are nice. It's nice. Speaking of feeling whole, Gaia, do you want to do the roadmap? When that guy wrote The Body Keeps the Score, he said human connection was the key to healing, but he obviously had never done the roadmap. (laughs) All right. Okay. What's up? Welcome new bitch people and also old bitch people from far and wide. Um, Come sit down and watch on as I regale you with the roadmap of our beautiful episode. The first part that we stop at is bitch what, which is we just talk about what the heck we're talking about. We figure it out. We figure out what it is. We think about the plot sometimes and sometimes even the directors or writers if we're really feeling zesty. And then we move into bitch how, which is where we like, we break it down in an artsy way. We use our art brains to think about like the art part of it. And then we have bitch time, which is where we make a feeling laser and shoot it at um, the moon. And then one day the moon will break down and we'll have to live with that for the rest of our lives. And then 
we have bitch why, which is just a sum up of why it matters, why anything matters, if anything matters, and the bitch meter, which is our little diversity score meter we invented, it often correlates with quality, but does not always cause quality. And that is that. I think it's. I think that means it's time for bitch what. It's time for bitch what. What are we talking about this week? We are talking about the superior Lin-Manuel Miranda musical in the Heights. I unfortunately have to agree. Like, <laughs> yeah. In the Heights is a little musical by a little indie writer called Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, we've never heard of him. Never heard of him. He's underground. And it is a kind of slice of life type story. Um, it tells the story of Washington Heights, which is a neighborhood far, far uptown New York. Um, in Manhattan, right? The yeah. northmost tip of Manhattan. For someone who lives in New York, I like don't know shit about Manhattan or New York or neighborhoods. It's right before you hit the Bronx. You must take the A train. <laughs> but it, it tells the story of the neighborhood of Washington Heights and kind of the various experiences of this predominantly Latinx community engaging with the gentrification of their neighborhood and like trying to feel culturally connected while it feels like everything in the world is telling them to abandon themselves. That's great. That was like low-key the best summary I've ever done of anything. So I, um, I'm actually kind of mad that this movie came out because In the Heights used to be like one of those things that like theater kids could be like, In the Heights was better than Hamilton. And most people wouldn't know what you were talking about. So you could still be like a hipster about it. Ooh. Yeah. So like I've, I've been kind of into In the Heights like listening to the soundtrack since high school, I have like one memory that I want to share with the class, which is I one time I had to pick my sister up from swim practice at a place that was like an hour away and Colorado, like the weather changes very extremely, very quickly. And I was blasting in the Heights. And all of a sudden there was this huge hailstorm, like quarter sized hail. So like big hail, but not like life ruiningly big hail and it, like everyone was pulling off the highway except me and I just like turned the volume up to its fullest capacity and like allowed the hail and in the heights to just like wash over me as I risked life and limb to pick my sister up from swim practice and it's one of the most chaotic driving experiences I've ever had. Wow. I'll also share something with the class. So Hamilton when it first came out I was at this, like, acting intensive for the first time, like, oh, my God, it was at Yale. It was like, Yale. And, oh, my God, oh my God do Yale. I want to go to Yale? Um, and it was when I was, like, trying to convince my parents, like, I want, I was serious about acting. And so, like, going to that thing was really formative for me. And um, they took us to a couple of shows. And Hamilton was in previews or something. And this was before it was, like, anything huge. I kept seeing, like, the posters everywhere. And I was like, who would watch a play about Alexander Hamilton. Obviously, I ate my words a few weeks later because then it blew up. But Hamilton, like, really helped me fall in love with theater again. Mm -hmm. Musical theater specifically has always been something that I felt like I do not have access to. One, because our community theater was so not great. It was also kind of racist, very sexist. Um, There's only a few people that always got, like, the leads in whatever thing. Even to get my parents to pay for voice lessons or dance classes, like, that just could not happen. It was too expensive. All of those things combined made me really jaded about musical theater specifically. And Hamilton, like, really brought me out of that because of, like, the representation on stage. 
And so you being like, oh, but In the Heights then became the hipster thing. I'm like, I am really happy we have In the Heights as a movie now because I was never, it's really hard for me also to just like sit down and listen to a musical if it's not something that I can't visually watch because musicals are, yes, they are like something you listen to, but they're also like a spectacle. So then when you don't get to see the spectacle, it's like, it's hard. Yeah, it's really hard for me to sit and listen to a cast album. The only mm-hmm. cast album I've ever listened to without having seen a bootleg of before was Hamilton because it was just so yeah in my face all the time. Lin-Manuel Miranda is a very captivating writer. Right. But some some musicals, you need yeah. the context of the visuals to see, to like, you know, go through it. I'm so glad that this filmed version exists now because I was never, I, I just, you know, n- didn't get around to listening to In the Heights, even though I was told so many times it's so good. Just because the fame of Hamilton, like, just, like, overshadowed it, and I was like, I don't know how it could possibly be better. But I think that, like, that is kind of part of the problem, is, like, the visibility of Hamilton versus In the Heights. I'm really happy that In the Heights exists and that I got to experience it this way, because mm-hmm. now... We'll talk about it, but there's a lot of people that are like, oh, but the stage version is better and so-and-so reason. I'm like, okay, cool. But what about the people who cannot afford to go see the fucking stage version? Yeah. Or, like, want to sit down and listen to a cast album or, like, find a bootleg. Like, they de- they all deserve to watch, like, a very good adaptation on film of this yeah. thing. Yeah. All right. It's time for Bitch How. Like, we're already there. It's what time for Bitch How! This movie musical reminded me of my other favorite movie musical, which is Chicago. The reason they are related, and I think for me, the most significant success of this movie is the fact that they leaned into the fact that they were dealing with a theatrical text, they didn't rely on realism to get the job done, and they allowed it to have all of the spectacle and grandiosity that the pieces of the stage love. If I had to give this movie one medal that I, that I like, I think you won at this. I would say respecting the origin of the text, leaning into theatricality. Yes, I'm so I'm gonna I'm gonna yes and that. My biggest thing whenever I go to like start a new project is like the medium is the message, and I feel like for me they really justified why this is a movie. Yeah. You know, I feel like sometimes, like, with other movie musicals, like, Cats especially, once, like, where Cats is bad, right? It's bad. But that movie also does not know how to capture choreography in a way that's actually, like, justifies why we're watching it on a screen and not a stage. And I think that, like, a lot of the time... It totally leans into spectacle. It's beautifully shot. John Chu, the director who also did Crazy Rich Asians, I think he knows how to like really capture movement in a beautiful way so that it feels like I'm watching something on a stage. But remember that it's a movie. Like the framing device, which I I know a lot of people had a problem with the framing device of them being on the beach and then it actually being the bodega at the end. But I was like, this is a fucking movie. You can do this in a movie. You cannot do this on a stage. So they like made it a movie and they justified why it was a movie. They showed us, you know, what makes this a movie versus a musical, like the pool moment. Oh my God. Just thinking about it, I actually just got chills now when they're all dancing in the water and they're all moving. And like anytime um, Anthony Ramos was moving during um, 96,000, like through the pool, like the community pool area, choreography is happening in front of him it's happening behind him but it's captured in a way that i can watch everything 
the title card at the beginning when the camera goes up. Like, I'm just, I was paying attention so much to the cinematography of this movie because it let me in. It gave me access in a way that, like, I have not felt for a long time with a movie musical. I felt like I was watching both the musical and the movie and that those two things were intrinsically connected in a way that I think, like, they finally justified why an adaptation was happening for me. Something that I love as a theatrical director is bodies in space. It's something we talk a lot about in directing classes. And I thought that this movie really understood how to use bodies in space. And it kind of reminded mm-hmm. me of a actually niche musical, If Then. Do you, does anyone remember If Then? It was written for Adina Menzel. Oh my god. If then. I know, right? I never listened to it, but I know about it for the There's most like part. some stuff in it that's good. Anyway, one of the things that they do on stage is like they really lean into the idea that like you can make bodies look like they're um, moving naturalistically while still integrating them into the story. And I think that that was a really mm-hmm. sexy thing that was happening throughout this movie. Like every time there's a scene everyone's just walking and doing their own thing and it the way they're walking turns into choreography and then turns back into walking or like they're singing along but it just feels like that's the way they would be moving if they were just yeah. in this situation and Nita as like someone who's been directed by me you know that that is like one of my like things that I desperately am always trying to capture like this idea that yeah. like movement that happens by accident can happen on purpose and it can like turn into the structure of the story and that was just it was really gorgeous watching it I think my favorite shot in the whole thing was in the beginning i'm not sure which song it is but it's with usnavi looking out the window and you see the choreography reflected in the window over his face stop that was like it's the first song it's the first song and that happens a couple moments there's a few he has three reflection moments one happens at the very beginning one happens at the in the towards the end and one is in the middle and i thought that that was like a really beautiful device to show him through that glass like always looking at his at his city. If you think about it, Usnavi is like a really interesting character to follow. I mean, I'm kind of sort of getting into the meat of the story now a little bit more. He's kind of, okay, he's a real Horatio because one of his primary (laughs) like roles in the story is like as a witness for everything and kind of the storyteller. Mm -hmm. And that ends up being the thesis of the show is that like Usnavi, his reason d'etre is that he's a storyteller. I think that the following the like Horatio character as the like kind of central root of the narrative and actually like the central character is such an excellent paradigm for Washington Heights, which feels like that the neighborhood is witnessing its own death at the same time as it's this like vibrant living thing. And so the the kind of um inherent parallel between the the witness and the context is so well integrated in the story. Like Lin-Manuel Miranda, like we shit on Lin-Manuel Miranda a lot because like of what he did to PR and like we are right, but also he can hammer a theme home. Like my man knows how to do themes. I agree. I, I think that like 
that that storytelling moment at the beginning of him framing it to the kids, I think really works in the, in a film. Some people were like, I didn't like that. It felt weird. And I'm like, but in a musical, like you're talking to somebody, you're talking to the audience. And like, we could have him straight flea bag it the whole time, but I think that it would be weird. And I feel like this was less of a, a way of alienating the audience. And I think this whole movie... I felt at least like I was being given a gift of not of finally for once not feeling alienated watching a musical. I think that like maybe the most profound thing about this movie and maybe this is a bitch why thing is like not a lot happens in in the heights and so in a way the inherent gift of the show is getting to witness these people like just living their lives is an honor. Like getting to like see the things they care about and like look into their hearts and their dreams. That is an honor in and of itself. And it doesn't matter if their dreams are, I want to move to the East Village or I want to become a cab driver. It like doesn't matter what their dreams are. It's that like the inherent- I'm sorry, Vanessa wanted to move to West 4th Street. I'm like so, I'm like so <laughs> sorry. Like I, like actually like once again, proving myself to be like a New York City dwelling poser. Um, <laughs> she got off the stop in St. Mark's. I actually did see that and I was like, oh my God. I'm gonna- I was like, no, thank you. Sorry, you were, you were, um, you were saying- just like I love the idea like that there is inherent beauty in these people and like the fact that like New York has so often left its Latinx population in the dust it's kind of like a big fuck you to the city of New York being like this is what you are stomping out the most beautiful thing you've ever seen yeah the framing device okay here's a problem with this movie that I had I don't think it's really a problem so much as it is a preference I didn't love the framing device and like kind of something that I overall felt throughout the show like it was just kind of like cheesy and it felt like a lot of there were like things that I felt like were there to be pretty like there were points where I felt like it felt too polished yeah and I mean maybe this is like part of this is for me is like this show feels like it's a show about like normal people living their lives and so it's kind of frustrating that like all of the actors are like thin conventionally attractive light-skinned people it'd be Mm -hmm. like watching a movie about my life and obviously like this isn't really my life but like someone cast a supermodel as me yeah never watching a movie have I more felt like, why the fuck did you not cast any fat people in this movie? Dasha Polenko, I think I'm saying that name right, she was in Orange is the New Black, is the only person in the film who's, like, not thin. And unfortunately, she doesn't get a lot to do. I Kind of all she does is, like, she's kind of, like, hypersexualized and then maybe also comedic, yeah. just, like, a comedic role. But it's weird to me. Yeah, so, so like, the only thing that I felt, like, took me out of the show was, like, it sometimes felt like it was trying to be too glossy. And so every so often I'd, like, see something and be like, hmm, is that even, like, a critique? Or is it just, like, me being, like, sometimes I felt like You're it was right. too glossy? I think that it was glossy visually. But the other thing that I didn't love always about Hamilton and something that I talked about once in like a business class at NYU. It was like an, it was like a business of entertainment class. So there was people from like Tish in there. So there were people who wanted to talk about art actually in that class. And there was one girl who was like, I feel like Lin-Manuel Miranda in Hamilton stole rap music from us. Cause she was like a lot of the time in Hamilton that everyone has like perfect diction trying to rap and like sound like Tupac and Biggie. And like, 
there's a lot of disconnect. So then when like the Hamilton mixtape came out and it was so funny because like Lynn was like, here's everything I stole and now we're just going to make it sound like the thing I actually stole. I, uh, yes, I musicalified it. Yes, I like gentrified it and then I'm going to give it back to you but and still make money off of you. And it was like very weird. And I think like I went and listened to the cast recording of In the Heights and that is less of a problem in In the Heights mostly because it actually has like an entire like culture to, to sound like as well. So it sounds less clean in like diction and all of that all that musical theater nonsense that I really hate sometimes. Mm. But I think that the soundtrack for the movie, oh my God, it's so good. One, because you actually have people who can all sing, mm-hmm. which Tea. doesn't always happen with movie musicals. And also you can bring back the sounds of like actual, the actual grittiness of what this song would sound like on the radio versus in on a stage. Mm-hmm. The return to, like, this doesn't sound musical theatery to to me was another thing that, like, kept me away from a- being feeling alienated, which I really loved. Like, when they were rapping, I was like, this is, they're rapping. Like, this mm-hmm. is real. Like, this isn't, like, playing at rap or what rap could sound like. This is, like, they're actually just doing the damn thing because it's in a movie. And it's, and, like, I felt like, like it was more of a music video than it was, like, a performance. Mm-hmm. Which I really appreciate. And I know that maybe some musical theater people are like, well, it doesn't sound like... And I'm like, well, okay. But that's not what this is, though. I don't know. I just like that the sound was a lot grittier. But you're mm-hmm. right about the visuals being maybe too clean. Uh, there was a lot of like product placement. I was like, I was like, the beats I can see specifically on, on Sunny's. Uh, and I know that they needed to pay for the movie, but like there were some things that were just like so clean and cut. And I was like, okay, Tide Stick. Okay, Beats headphones. <laughs> the Tide Stick. John Chu does this in Crazy Rotations a lot. Like the way he shoots things like makes them look so beautiful also, just like all the time. Like I'm thinking of the food scene in Crazy Rotations where you're like oh he that man loves to capture food on film and so do i i'm cool with that but he like really just makes he just romanticizes so much and i'm wondering if like this is the right place to do that because it almost felt like something i was kind of worried about was like if we over romanticize washington heights is that pulling from the actual message of the musical which is It is actually so hard to live here and continue making a living in a place that we tried to take for ourselves and still are getting it taken away from us. Like, I feel like there was actually some of the grit that was lost making this, like, a beautiful, sunshiny, brown Mamma Mia 2, even if it was only slightly sunburnt Mamma Mia 2 and not, like, (laughs) super brown. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was a little worried about that. It kind of, like, makes me think about, like, if this is, like, the romantic version of Washington Heights, then, like, what does that say about, like, what it means to, like, live a romantic life that you're, like, thin and light-skinned and, like, perfectly quaffed at any moment? And also, like, I hate the idea that, like, conventional beauty is what you need in order to make a beautiful movie. Like, not to reference the greatest movie of all time, Parasite, but, like, what a great example of a movie that didn't need everyone to be beautiful in order for the movie to be beautiful. You like, can make you can make anything beautiful on film. Yeah, things, like, the world That's is That's the power beautiful. of film. There was something about this movie that did have the aura of, we are very polished and beautiful, and I, I don't want to, like talk like shit about the acting and stuff like I just don't know if that's like worthwhile but pretty people can get away with a lot of things that other people can't and I am gonna leave that 
I'll talk specifically about Vanessa. A lot of the time, she's not doing all that much. I mean, her voice is stunning. Yeah. I really liked her voice. But then I just didn't feel too much about what she was doing visually. And some of that's on her, and some of that's on the director, and some of that's just on, like, hey, maybe we do another take of this. But, like, I didn't feel it the same way I felt it from a lot of the other characters. Yeah. And I think that, like, she is just really pretty and has great eyebrows. But I'm sure she's a lovely person and a great actor. Um, But the only other, like, really nice thing I have to say, because I feel so weird giving Lynn his flowers... I didn't want to. And like, we don't want to give Lynn things. But, like, I think the choreography is very fantastic in this movie. I think yes. that, like, it reminds me how much of, like, Little Women, how important it is to capture movement in a way that also teaches me about the characters and what's going on and, like, is visually exciting. I think, like, in the Aladdin remake, they kind of sped up the dancing. Like, you could tell it felt like they sped it up artificially and, like, they didn't have to do that here. People are moving using film to tell the story works so well when you want to focus on the whole of a place there's like there are too many shots of like people that aren't in the movie but are just like random people in washington nights i was like bitch that's the thesis of the the point if we didn't have more shots of people in the ensemble there would have been no black people in this fucking movie so shut up first of all i thought that they really utilized parts of the, the make it a movie please get me the fuck away from realism and they did i loved the mannequins the in wig the, heads in the salon <laughs> yes ah! i loved it i loved the fabric like pouring off of the buildings mm. i loved benny and nina's dance on the on the side of the building i actually even enjoyed that animation when they were right before ninety six thousand, and they're like passing that around i was like you know what it's a movie. Do whatever you want. I like this. Like I love. Please, like get me out of realism. Oh, and and Abuela's song is the most beautiful thing. Oh yeah, Pelcientife. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful choreography. The lighting. The lighting moment at the end where it's the subway and the lights are like flickering yeah. and it's red and blue and and like we complain I'm about realism chills. every day. And like <laughs> yeah. the director yes, of In the Heights heard us. He took his notes and he was like, fuck realism. There's this podcast that I was listening to called What's Your Backup Plan? And they talked to a choreographer in one of the episodes and she had done some choreography for film. And apparently choreographers on film don't get to talk to the director a lot. They kind of just choreograph and then the director shoots it and they don't and the choreographer doesn't get any say really mm-hmm. in like how it is captured. That's so hilarious. I feel so like dumb. that John Chu really was like, we're highlighting the choreography and we're going to capture it in a way that like people will be able to see it and feel it in every moment and movement, even how small it is, because it's so small. And your eye, you can direct the eye where to look in film, which you can't always do on stage. And he was able to do that in a really beautiful way. Yeah. I wonder if that's the reason Kenny Ortega is such a great director, because he's also a choreographer. Oh, I also think that like something that's that's kind of cool about this piece in the writing that I think that Hamilton doesn't quite succeed at and what I think makes the lack of realism still feel like it's telling like real and raw stories is like Lin-Manuel Miranda did a good job in this piece of integrating heightened language with colloquial language like i'm thinking about the scene where usnavi and vanessa 
she brings him a bottle of champagne and she's singing him like these like line these like poetic lines and the whole time his text back at her is is like <laughs> he's like how okay, do I, I open, open this, this goddamn <laughs> champagne and and there's a lot of moments like that in this show that feel like you don't need it to be realistic because it's got enough realism textually that the realism can just breathe like it's it's already breathing so you don't have to do it and also i feel like the way that this musical is written i feel that really lends itself to being on camera is something i talked about a long time ago on one of our episodes is that in bollywood musicals which are also like only ever Bollywood movies. They're not. They're not ever staged. Like there's no. There's no adaptation that needs to be had. So of course they have to justify why it's on film. There's a lot of conversation in Bollywood songs. In like in Hindi films. In the song they're like having a talk. And I feel like Lin is very good at just like all of these songs are mostly conversations. Rarely is one person singing alone. And if they are, it's very. Quick. It's like everyone's talking to each other all the time, which then lends itself to like in the the club song when there's a whole group of the guys and the whole group of the girls. And I said, "Shut up! Is this a Bollywood movie? Like, what's going on?" But it was so like lovely to to because then it's easier, I think, to choreograph in a way that feels both natural and realistic, but then also heightened and and like visually exciting. Yeah, I do think like this movie took notes from Bollywood, like clearly. I have to believe that it did because the way that everything flows in it, the emphasis on the ensemble, all of that is so from that space. See? This was the musical that made a good movie because it is so community focused. And I think John Chu, I know he's like made a lot of faux pas, which we will talk about in Bitch Why, but I think because he also comes from a culture that is very community-focused. Crazy Rich Asians was a movie in which he probably really demonstrated how to frame community and family and even, like, food and cultural importance on things. I can tell why they picked him. I can tell how his emphasis on community made for a good, staged, filmed musical. In the Heights was sexy, you guys. Not gonna lie. I hate- I mean, we're obviously gonna talk about all the other stuff, but, like, it was- sexy it's sexy to have a movie that has good things and bad things but overall good things i feel like so many movies we watch and talk about they're either like mind-numbingly bad or like art art and like we live in a nuanced society we contain multitudes such a breath of fresh air watching this and it was so joyful and i was like wow i'm experiencing happiness right now i was like damn is this some dopamine like straight up dopamine anyway it's time for bitch time Three minutes on the clock, ready and go. It's bitch time. Um, something that I couldn't stop remembering was the fact that, like, canonically, all of these are guys are like freshmen in college, like they're like eighteen. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, I like how we both texted each other. Like, this is how I met your mother. <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. I feel like okay, this is maybe gonna make some people mad, but this is this movie is what La La Land thought it was giving. Oh, you know what? That's tea. That's tea. <laughs> That is, like, the hottest take I've ever heard in my life. The child who little little Usnavi was talking to throughout the movie was, like, at unnaturally cute. Like, it almost looked computer-generated. Like, it was so she cute. She was so cute! 
like she I, was like stupid but it, cute. She's so cute that I felt weird about how cute she was. Yeah. Like once again, computer generated Renezme energy. The sexual oh my god. The sexual tension between Lynn Manuel Miranda and Christopher Jackson. <gasps> Tea. With- like what are they with gonna the kiss? Ice cream and the, I was like, what the fuck is happening? Um, Sonny is great. That actor who plays Sonny, he was so Aww. perfect. That was an open good call. For him. And like good for him. Okay, who says let yeah, me yeah, listen? Get some roles, King. Yes, who says let me listen to my block? I'm sorry, every time Nina said that, I was like, shut up. Like I was like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that was so annoying. There, there's like I was a like, couple moments where you're like cheesy musical to me, like too much. Yeah, that was cheesy. There's like a couple moments where you're like cheesy. Cheesy, yeah. cheesy, 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 cheesy. Also, cheesy. like, okay, Nina, like, cu- taking a red eye and then, like, showing up, like, fresh-faced, full makeup, full outfit. Like, have you taken a red eye to New York City before, director? Like, do you not know, like, how much of a zombie you feel like? Like, the experience of, like, your plane lands at five in the morning and it's dark and then you go into the subway and, like, you sit on the subway for, like, an hour and a half and then you emerge and it's light outside and people are waking up but like you've been awake the whole time like it's such a visceral experience like why why is this film too afraid to communicate that (laughs) sorry oh my god when patrick page when when patrick page of hades town fame showed up i screamed where was he he's the he's the he's the dry cleaner store owner oh yeah king yeah Wow, I didn't realize yeah. that was him. Yeah, That's I why he's wearing long sleeves. I was like, of course the only white person in this is Patrick Page. I mean, like, so sorry to anyone else trying to make a blockbuster movie this year, but nothing is ever going to be more exciting than that first, like, ten minutes of In the Heights this year. Like, that that takes the cake I do think, like, In the Heights shines so well in its, like, great ensemble numbers that I do feel like towards the end, and this is, like, just, like, a problem with the, like, writing. No, Towards I the end, agree. it kind of fizzles. Um, I agree. Because, like, once you get past 96,000, like, 96,000 is as high as the movie gets. No, way. Um, Blackout. Blackout is also... Blackout. And then Pacencia y Fe. Yeah, Pacencia y Fe comes Once earlier. it hits that, then it's done. Yeah, then the movie's over. Quite literally, the ensemble makes this movie, is, I think, I was gonna point. say, it's, like, almost hard to, like, give a serious fuck about, like, the actual central characters. <laughs> Because no, it's I like such so an ensemble about- film that I'm kind of like Nina, go away! Like, yeah, I'm like, queen, get- like I don't I'm like, care girl, that much. I love you, but I do not care. I also um, love that the, the line oh, yeah. "I'm a streetlight choking in the heat." I just think about that all day. I think about that line so much. Like, if it were culturally appropriate, then I would get that line tattooed. Yeah, you know not- what? Speaking of culturally appropriate, I think it's time for bitch why. honestly mad at myself that i wasn't more mad at this movie no like rights for this movie it's kind of like how i felt watching cruella i feel like this this like past couple episodes has really been like movies that we didn't want to like and then we did we were so charmed by them that we we forgot all about their flaws it's so weird well i think it's also on us because we picked a lot of things at the very beginning that we obviously knew we were going to be very critical about because that's what, you know, you and I do. And that I think now we're like in a space where I'm like, wow, I was um swept away by this film. And now I have to sit with that. A lot of shitty movies came out this winter and I'm proud of that. That's true. I'm glad, that is I'm glad we had a good swell of like terrible, awful movies. So I think the first thing obviously that I would like to talk about is the colorism in this movie. John Chu 
as the director for Crazy Rich Asians and Lynn when In the Heights first came out, had both of these men had already received criticism about the lack of darker-skinned Asians in Crazy Rich Asian and darker-skinned Latinos in In the Heights. And the fact that they did not learn from them is so upsetting to me. There was an interview where someone interviewed John Chu and was like, hey, what do you, like, why weren't there a lot of Afro-Latinos in this movie? And he was like, you know, it's a really hard conversation and, you know, we just cast the right people for the role. And, like, that is not the right answer. This movie really captures community in a beautiful way. This movie made me feel warm and so, like, represented, even though this is not my, I'm not from any of these places that are represented in the film. But I grew up in Southern California and San Diego specifically. A lot of my friends were Hispanic and like that was where I found community because there was no other like Indian people around. I just, it sucks for me that the conversation unfortunately around this movie is not how to do such a damn good adaptation that like hopefully people all take note. The takeaway from this movie is that like Hollywood really hates fucking people of color so much that like we were just going for scraps at this point. The, the degree to which Hollywood hates people of color is like a parody of itself at this point. It's like, like, you guys, like, know about this. Like, you, like, everyone knows about this. Like, it's so easy to just, like, make different choices. And so I think then the representation of the ensemble is kind of deceptive, right? Because you walk away from the movie thinking that you've seen, like, a really whole, complete picture of Washington Heights, but then you look at the, at the main cast and everyone is light-skinned, except for Benny, but then they also cut, I found out because I did not, and here's the other thing is like, if you've never listened to the stage version or watched the stage version, you will, you won't know that there is a storyline about Benny and Nina where Nina's dad actually doesn't want them to be together because Benny isn't Latino. Benny's trying to learn Spanish and that's a whole thing. But in all of the scenes with Benny and Nina's dad, they were like chill with each other. So actually in an attempt for this movie to hide the anti-blackness in the Latino community in text, in the story, they also showed that they are anti-black in the way that they inherently made this movie because not only did they have, did they cut that storyline because because I guess Lynn, I, I don't know if Lynn is a person who is equipped to talk about like anti-blackness in the, in in this community. They did like they did it twofold almost. They did it in text and then they did it like on screen, and it just is disgusting and it sucks. And like that's gonna be the thing that like I will probably remember more about this movie, even though I will still think about the visuals. I will I will always just be really peeved that like that's the thing that people took away from this film unfortunately. I mean, we were kind of talking about this earlier when we were talking about, like, class barriers of theater. I Mm -hmm. hate how much Hollywood has blocked out people. Like, people can't... Because, like, one of the things they do is, like, Hollywood has, like, a set of, like, safe actors that they can cast. And even though they cast some unknowns in this movie, like, a lot of them were, like, secretly not unknowns. Like, Anthony Ramos, who plays Usnavi, is, like, super super musical theater famous and everyone wanted him to be in this movie. Well, and and the other thing is when John Chu says, well, we just casted the right people for the roles, when you say something like that, then you're visually insinuating that there are no good dark-skinned slash Afro-Latino actors who are good. 
Like, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. When people were mad at you, John Chu, during Crazy Rich Asians, when they were like, why didn't you cast any darker-skinned Asian people or give any of them, like, a bigger role? His answer was, we casted the right people. So it's, you're equating talent now with skin tone and, col- and like, it's basic, it's, it's just colorism. We'll just call it what it is. Yeah, they had the name Lin-Manuel Miranda on this. They didn't have to cast anybody who knew. Like, everyone was going to watch this movie. And so much of what we complain about in Hollywood is, like, Hollywood, like, refuses to make any unsafe moves. So, like, they won't put, like, gay people in movies. They won't put dark-skinned people in movies. They won't put new actors in movies. They won't cast actually disabled actors in movies. They won't cast fat people in movies. Because, like... Everything they do is, like, fundamentally rooted in profit. And so, like, it's not surprising that they didn't cast dark-skinned people in this movie because, like, Hollywood has cultivated a short list of human beings that they're willing to cast in anything. And if they depart from that list, then they must be conventionally attractive and light-skinned. Yeah. It's something that they've all collectively decided that they're just not going to do. Uh, it's unfortunate that all these people in power could just literally wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, all that stupid shit that we're doing, we're not going to do that anymore. Like, they could all just do that. And then the fact that they don't... And and I think that this is also the problem of the brown is brown is brown is brown thing that we talked about when we talked about Hamilton mm-hmm. with John Chu directing. Of course, that maybe those conversations were not had in that ro- in those rooms because John Chu was maybe not the person who was going to think about colorism even after all of that backlash, because, like, people, like, with that kind of fame and, like, money, like, that stuff that stuff doesn't affect them anymore. Like, he was directing in the Heights. And they also he, have the power you know. to surround themselves with only people who like them and exactly. want to tell them things they want to hear. Exactly. And, and I think the other thing I really want to talk about, I felt like the message, because this movie is literally, like, based off of a musical that was made, like, 20 years ago now, I wish they had updated... I think that Lynn is very much like a political romantic, that dreamer thing, that like American dream thing. And that's why Hamilton is a capitalist wet dream. That's why this is kind of also a little bit of a capitalist wet dream. Maybe not as much. No, this is such a bootstraps movie. It's such a bootstraps movie. The big bootstraps boy, <laughs> like Usnavi wins the lottery. Right? He's the one the whole time mm-hmm. telling everybody to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whatever. But then all of, his solves, all of his problems are solved at the end with the lottery. Is that subversive or is that just Lin-Manuel Miranda doesn't understand his own work? No, Lin, I think that, like, here's the problem is that, like, there's so much good in this movie about community, about, which I, God, take a shot every time I say community in this episode, um, about, like, when you romanticize Homeland and you go, all my problems would be solved if I just go back to DR, if I just go back to India, if I just go back to Mexico, if I just go back to all these other places, all my problems will go away. But then the actual reality of what it means to go back when your family built a life for you here and generations of people have been trying to build a life so that you could live here and like find success here. And that like very complicated feeling of wanting to go back. But Sonny even tells Usnavi, he's like, Bro, who's going to greet you when you go back? You're not going to have that same community that you had when you were eight. You have it here. Like, those feelings are so examined in this movie. I have not seen solidarity like I have in this movie in such a long time. Like, it is so beautiful watching all these people come together. Unfortunately, even when they do the roll call in Carnival, 
most of those people are very light-skinned, but they're from all over. They're literally like, we're from PR, we're from Cuba, we're from the Dominican Republic, and they're all like light. And that sucks because all they had to do to make this movie perfect for me is just cast better. That's it. The, other than that, I don't think I have a lot of big problems with this movie, considering that it is based off of a musical that came out 20 years ago. I can excuse the like optimistic ideals about like even though things are being gentrified and like this kind of sucks for us we're still gonna stick it out in our in our little space like i can excuse the political romanticism but i cannot excuse the colorism and and that just sucks that like everything else in this movie is so richly explored even if lynn is not he's not a spike lee this is like an uplifting immigrant narrative which i think is even more prescient in this than it is in hamilton the conversations that are had are had well. I, I think it's hard to critique capitalism on Broadway because it's literally Broadway. The most capitalist thing that exists. In the Salon song, oh my god, No Me Diga, I think that's what it's called. They talk about surviving slave ships. They talk about all of these like like Taino genocide. Like they they talk about microaggressions and macroaggressions and all these things that are shared between them and Afro-Latinos. And like they don't acknowledge, but they acknowledge blackness because there's black hair in the salon. Like, but they can't- It's the Stranger Things problem. It's the Stranger Things problem. It's also just like, by including everyone who's in this community, which like Lynn claims to have grown up in Washington Heights. So then how come you didn't notice <laughs> the black people when you were living there? Uh, but anyway, if you fix this problem- then like all of the other things, like the narrative is better. I also think the other thing is like Abuela's arc is kind of fucked over and Benny and Nina's arcs are really fucked over by this adaptation, which is the unfortunate thing with time. And I just want to mention that really quickly. But I think that like the message of this movie for me, kind of like with Hamilton, what we concluded is that it kind of came 10 years too late. Yeah. Unfortunately. But also like this musical didn't come out. Like that's kind of the thing about this. That's like interesting. Like the interesting thing about what you're saying about adapting a musical from like 20 years ago is like when this movie came out, this was big. Like, I think this came out in 2006 originally. Yeah. Think about the political world of 2006. The universe was profoundly different and and so thinking about in the heights winning best musical back in 2006 like with this messaging is incredible and also now it's 2021 it's been a minute okay right but there's like a lot of stuff that's still so relevant like when no it's like great <laughs> yeah in Pacencia Fe, actually there's a lot of moments where they talk about like there's this one line i spent my entire life inheriting dreams from you i am obsessed with that line I cr like that's how I felt represented is like oh and I hate that Lin Manuel Miranda has a grip on immigrant narratives. This man has a grip on my heart unfortunately when it comes to like talking about shit like this. I think the problem with musicals a lot of the time is like they either have very simple plots because then they're really easy to wrap up in like a song at the end. But when you try to carry like all of this on your back in in a musical like this that is talking about gentrification, they add they add in the stuff about dreamers, which is not in the musical version. You kind of lose. It's just so hard to wrap up a story like that. The sense of urgency around their entire lives just kind of melts away by the end because we still want the musical to happen. I do think the movie is a little less bootstrapsy than the musical, at yeah. least because we actually get to like see these people. There's a lot of themes about what it takes to pay for college. They also cut that I'm upset about. They cut that Nina 
drops out because she's trying to pay for college by working a bunch of jobs. In this version, she just gets microaggressed really bad and then, well, actually macro. Anyway, she just gets racismed a lot and then drops out because she- I'm also mad that they cut Nina's mom to give her more of a sob story. Yeah, well, but but here's the thing that sucks about, like, the Nina thing, like, any part of Nina's story being cut is, like, she then looks like- like what I, this is what I imagine what a conservative would say, but that she sounds like a sensitive snowflake because she can't handle like a couple of microaggressions. I think it's much more real. She's literally cannot pay for college. And so it's trying to work all these jobs. Like we know people who are doing that, like to just yeah. get through. That's much more real. Like that's much more realistic. I think the idea that like experiencing microaggressions makes you drop out of college, like not to minimize the importance of microaggressions, but like the amount of microaggressions that one experiences in academia. Oh my God. Like, like that is just, it almost makes it seem like these are different from what it means to like go to college. Like, it, like her experience was so uniquely horrible, but like, that's just like what it is to go to college. And obviously that should change. And that is bad that it yeah. is that way. But the, the, and they already had a good reason in front of them, which is that she was working two jobs yeah. or whatever. Like, I don't get... There were some story changes that didn't I think make it's sense. because they didn't want Nina to have failed at something. But, like, I think the fact that, like, working like that sometimes makes you fail at things is so poignant yeah. and under-discussed. It, it feels like it's a discredit to all of the wonderful people I know in college who, like, toughed it out through like the experience of being in college i think there's ways in this movie to bring up real issues and problems that people in the community have but i felt like they were when they did bring something up they either didn't talk about it enough or they hit us on the head with it like the dreamer arc. the dreamer arc i was really jonesing for like nuance i was just like give me some please somebody give me some nuance and i think that this movie is saying things about like what it means to carve a space out for yourself create a community there and then slowly start to get kicked out of it like it reminds me a lot of like during covid at the very beginning when all the white people left to like their their homes in connecticut or whatever and then new york city was automatically labeled unsafe because there were just less white people walking around right Mm -hmm. like i was like there's so much in this in this musical that because they now have the retrospect to go back Versus, like, where we were 20 years ago and where we were now. I think, like, because they showed me that they can do some updates, because they updated some things that maybe didn't need to be updated, they could have gone a little harder with these themes and topics, and I just don't think that they did very well. Like They pulled back instead of They pulled harder. back, yeah. And, like, the stuff about the stitch work I thought was really lovely in the in the napkins of, like you can never get mm-hmm. that back. Like, it was like, they don't make it like this anymore. And, like, I was like, oh, my God, they're talking about dr they're talking about like trying to go back home wherever home is Mm -hmm. there was just so much that just wasn't wrapped up well enough for me and i think but i do think that the unfortunate like big big takeaway from this musical just from what i've seen is that the lack of like afro-latino representation is really going to sink the legacy of this movie and considering mr lynn his whole artistic theme is legacy um, that really fucking sucks for him. <laughs> yeah, rip to Lynn. We all suffer when representation is done poorly. Um, I think that's all I have to say. Yeah, let's let's move into the bitch meter, bro. Like yeah. this is Jones in for some nuance. 
This is a bitch beat is where we rank the thing on diversity um, and representation. Amazing guy. What did we give for queer? Uh, we gave it a one because there's a scene at the beginning where Carla and Daniela are in bed together, but then it is like ignored for the rest of the movie. Like despite the fact that it would have been so easy to like just continually reference it. It was a blink and you'll miss it gay representation moment that they put in because they could cut it for some audiences. And that's on homophobia. What do we give it for gender? For gender, we gave it a four. This movie's pretty evenly split. I feel like even though our main narrator is a man, I felt like this was like a a really like even movie. For race, we gave it a four. Um, I I guess normally we would give it like a five or something, but I'm just still so struck and upset by like the just the lack of diversity, even within a community. And that's the other thing about communities, is it's very hard to like, I don't know. Make sure you're representing everybody. That's still something you have to think about even when you're making a movie about diversity. It's not, like, automatic and people in community still need to, like, reckon with um, their own colorism. What did we give it for disability? We gave it an NA. And for body positivity, we gave it an NA minus one. Listen to the episode if you wonder why, but... Y'all know we like to throw that minus one. Well, and justice for Dasha, because she's an amazing actor in Orange is the New Black, and they really, like... Fucked her over. Where are the rights? Where are the rights? Um, and then for class, we gave it a five. Obviously. Oh my God. Of course we did. There's nothing else I have to say. The P's about class. Yes. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention for Bitch Why is that there's a new Disney movie coming out called Encanto, which is about, it's like, it's, it's takes place in Colombia and Lynn Ooh. is doing all the music for it. Well, I guess that's better than him doing the music for Moana. Okay, but it's like, does Disney have him on speed dial? Like, yeah. And also, this is the brownest, brownest, brownest brown thing. It's like, he's doing all of the music too. It's not just like in Moana where he did a little bit. Like, he's doing all of it. If you want Lynn to compose a movie that feels, quote unquote, ethnic, why don't you just make a movie about Puerto Rico? Yeah, I feel like he's like, I feel like he's like um, Latinx Mindy Kaling. Where he just yeah. has, he has a monopoly on telling all Latinx stories. It's crazy because we know so many amazing Latinx writers and creators um, and like performers. Just, it's so funny that Lynn is like the guy. All right. It's time for Harris's hot take, which I will record later. Harris, what's your hot take on In the Heights, the film version? Mm, the film version. You know, honestly, I was obsessed with In the Heights when I was younger. So I watched the movie. It was the first movie I saw, saw like, post being scared of being around people, post-vaccine. And I saw it with my mom. I wasn't paying attention to all the colorism that was involved, which I know mm-hmm. is a... Uh, a big thing and like I agree with but like just for what it was I had a very good time listening to the music it just seemed like there wasn't as much like the reason I like In the Heights more than Hamilton is because there seems to be so much heart but the movie seemed to be lacking that a bit but I did love all the like shots that were a bit surreal yeah, uh, because if you're already having people singing, you better go off. And I kind of just wish there was more of that. I don't have a super, 
super skating hot take on In the Heights. And I was kind of hoping that the success of In the Heights would like uh, be a pathway for more wild and weird and wonderful musicals to be turned into movies, but looks like that's not going to happen. What sucks is the conversation about the lack of Afro-Latinx bodies, like, wrecked the whole, like, emphasis on what this movie was doing. And so I think because they really fucked up on the representation there, that's all people are going to remember about this movie. And not that it introduced a lot of, like, really exciting ideas that people could still continue to utilize on film with movie musical adaptations. This is true. This is true. Just kind of sad. Nothing happens in this movie. Yeah. It's like real big plot thing. It's just kind of little vignettes of characters, which is honestly super nice. I love just getting to know people because if you think about it, we all carry our own complex stories. So even if there's no plot, there's always plot when you meet another character. Oh, wait, that's such a good hot take. We're keeping that. All right. That's good. <laughs> oh, I love you. I miss you so much. Love you. Miss you. Okay, bye. bye. Harris, I love you. Thanks, Harris. Um, what are you working on? I'm just like I'm in rewrites land right now. So I'm I'm teaching myself how to write. I actually forgot how to write, but I'm trying to remember. Okay, and, cool, um, cool, cool, cool. And I'm doing that by doing rewrites. And um I actually I'm have like a dramaturgical meeting tomorrow. So that's kind of exciting. Uh, what are you working on? Uh, I'm still on, I'm still working on my podcasting fellowship, but my acting for film thing ended and I'm home for two weeks and I'm chilling. I don't know, I'm chilling. I'm just like having a nice time right now. I'm also working on a farm. Yeah, you're also- I feel like I forget about that sometimes. (laughs) I feel like that's just inherently known. I know it's well known, but like, we're always like, what are you working on? And I'm like, oh, I have to think of something artsy. And then I remember that I literally work on a farm. You know that your backup answer is always just, I'm working on a farm. But I also do art on the side. That is true. Oh my God. Okay. You can follow Gaia on Instagram at Gaia Rose River or Gaia River Rose, depending on what you want from them. And then you can follow Nitha on Instagram or Twitter at Nitha underscore Tadani, T-H-A-D-A-N-I. Oh, this is so sexy of us. <laughs> this is sexy. I like this. I this like is kind of hot. You can follow the Bitchway Podcast on at Bitchway Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at b.tchwhy at gmail.com. Hi, Abby. Thank you so much for your note. It was like the most beautiful thing and it made us both cry. So thank you so much for listening. We adore you. You're, you're a delightful individual and uh, you got mentioned in the group chat multiple times. So, so for good, like a week. Good on you. <laughs> for like a week. Please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes and tell your friends about this podcast or just message us on Instagram. We love hearing from you. All of our resources referenced are going to be in the show notes. Thanks to our editor and co-producer and gay god with a capital G, Cameron, and our graphic designer, Jillian. Have a good night, bitches. Good night, bitches. Sleep tight.